Hey, everybody. It's Thursday. It's time for the Art Fight Podcast. I'm Joe Nolan here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a beautiful afternoon. It's the winter here in Tennessee, but it feels like a damp, a damp early spring day, Brian. Would you agree? <laughs> it's, it's actually the first day where I felt like some sense of possibility in the weather. So there's something to be said for that. But we got nothing. Yeah. Man. We got nothing. This is like... Uh, we're not Florida. Winters right. here are fine. So for all the people that are not here, uh, you probably got it worse than us and we're just Yeah. I had to run outside and do a few errands today and I was just enjoying enjoying a, a lovely afternoon in in the winter, deep winter in Nashville. There's a link right there that we're about to share with with our guests. And we're happy to welcome back for a second time in the show. Last time Sean was on our show, we said we would have him back to talk about the Conor McGregor fight. It is that time. It is that week. Last week, I mentioned, especially for y'all who don't follow the fights out there, that we were about to have three fights in a row. We had an amazing card last Saturday night, a very fun card this past Wednesday, like at breakfast time. It was weird. But this Saturday night, Conor McGregor will fight Dustin Poirier and our good friend from Severe MNA, Sean Sheehan, is with us. Good to see you, Sean. Hello, lads. How are you? Nice, nice to be back in the new Happy New Year. As well. is, 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 are we still allowed to say Happy New Year? We're twenty-one years, twenty-one years, twenty-one days into January now. <laughs> I do. I say Happy New Year the entire month of January. I like that. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we've already had we've already had about two years in the first you know couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. Time is a an abstract concept at this point. Just make <laughs> whatever you want it to be, man. Right. Just be with it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's the I think it's the best way to do it. Like the last year has just been utterly crazy in every sort of way. I think with the obviously with the coronavirus and whatever like that. But yeah, we're just like in a waiting pattern. It seems at the moment. Like, can this vaccine get going? And can can we get yeah. back to some sort of like here in Ireland? It's we like we there's no shops open or anything. Like you can get food, you can get your groceries and things, but there's no. If you want to buy a pair of shoes, you can't do it. If you want to go buy clothes, you can't buy it. Not, nothing is open. So <laughs> Meanwhile, here in Nashville, if you want to get wasted with a bunch of bachelorettes and pedal around on a pedal tavern and scream obscenities and act crazy and go to any bar or whatever you want, man, it's all right here in Nashville, Tennessee for you. I'm on my way. It is quite, it, it, you really have to live in an alternate universe, parallel reality at times. But, but yeah, it's surreal, man. It's surreal times. But I do think about this sometimes. And when you think about what it is for a fighter to go through a, a camp with, oh, when I get to this, you start to understand Max and his cupcakes or whatever. When we have been in these kind of in this year long hiding and training and everybody's going through and improving what they're doing and improving their craft and all of that, waiting for this kind of reveal or this time where we can step out into it and do the new thing. And I, I feel like in a way it's we've been in the worst collective fight camp ever <laughs> yeah it's, that's, that's exactly what it is except we put on weight instead of lost weight exactly well somebody is this is this one of your your relatives sean your yeah. my brother uh, okay he's he's reminding sean he doesn't have anything to worry about because he has plenty cans of harp to get him through the longest winter the longest pandemic it's gonna be fine is Fun harp is, is harp your brand yeah, oh, I love harp. It's, <laughs> it's what everyone used to drink like in Ireland in the 80s, and I'm the only one left drinking it still, me and a couple of other hard lads. I haven't had a drink yet this year, though, so I've just been too sick to drink, basically. But, uh, and I, I yeah. might have one this Saturday night now watching the fights. So yeah, see. yeah, yeah, you should. That would be great. I would be happy for you to be, be back on the men and able to have a, a delicious harp. Do you drink that harp at room temperature, or do you drink it chilled? Oh, no. I, I drink it chilled. One of my one of my friends, actually, I met him in college the first time i ever met was it harp yet or maybe it was fosters i think but he came into my apartment where we were having like some party or something, and he had 12 cans and he just laid them up on the table and just drank them from the table for six hours i'm like I, 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 I'm friends with you now for, and we're still friends like fucking 14 years, 15 years later I was like I knew from that moment that was, that was it so this is my we're, we're bonded in, in our blood yeah, uh, even well, though the reason, the reason the reason we wanted to have you back, Sean, is you're coming to us today straight out of Limerick, Ireland. 
Uh, a big deal for Ireland and for Irish fight fans this week because Conor McGregor is back in the octagon. This fight's interesting to me. I've been watching some of your coverage, especially your chat with Dan Hardy was fantastic. So I know that you've been going over some of these same questions, but this is an opportunity for you to you know expound a bit more than you can do when you're the person interviewing. To me, it's obviously... The interesting thing about the fight is that these two guys have met before. Rematches are always fascinating for those reasons. And it's especially weird to me because both of these fighters are not the fighter they were then. They've both moved up an entire weight class. Conor McGregor's entire world is completely different now. And, and really, so is Dustin Poirier's. But certainly, Dustin Poirier's capacities as a fighter are vastly improved and this week I've been rewatching some of his highlights and seeing him just dismantle Justin Gaethje, for God's sakes. It's mm-hmm. like, this guy fucking dismantled Justin Gaethje. You know what I mean? So what does that, what does this all mean? Who are these guys? Where the fuck are we? Because to me, McGregor's a question mark in many ways. Yeah, it's, look, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. And I suppose it is the biggest topic for discussion because of this fight. It's a rematch, obviously. I wanted six and a half years since the first fight if you think about anyone any of the three of us how much have you changed in the last six and a half years like how much has your life changed (laughs) you know for better or worse now for for some of us if if you think about it from a fighting perspective like if you look at dustin barrier there's i don't think anyone could argue that he isn't a better fighter today than he was back then even in terms of he hasn't taken that much damage he i don't think he's that much wear and tear in his body still a young guy so what he's experienced in those six and a half years, I think, has been almost all good. Okay, he's lost a couple of fights and he's been choked out and knocked out once, I think, since the McGregor fight, if I'm not mistaken, by Michael Johnson. Or was that? I don't know. But, but there hasn't been much good. anyway. Yeah, plus, look at McGregor. Okay, he he hasn't fought as much as Poirier, but he went and he had... I, I think people, when they look at the the, Connor, or the Floyd Mayweather bout, they throw it out a little bit. But imagine the amount of improvements McGregor made in his hands preparing for that fight that's the thing i think we don't look at enough okay maybe his ground game isn't as good because of it because he wasn't concentrating on it for a while but then he got the habib fight and he obviously concentrated on it a lot even though maybe the preparations weren't as good so there's no doubt about it i think both guys are better now than they were back then the thing is mcgregor and i think Poirier is better now than he's ever been but is mcgregor better now than he's ever been i think that's the question and if he is I think he'll destroy Dustin Poirier because I think at their very best, he's the best. Uh-huh. McGregor's the best. But if McGregor is like a little bit below, say, where he was when he fought Eddie Alvarez or Jose Aldo, when he looked absolutely unbeatable, yeah. then there'd be, you know, McGregor is probably here at his best. Poirier is probably here. He'll be coming a little bit closer if McGregor isn't at his best. So that's the question for me. And I think like Poirier has some really good aspects to his game that could trouble McGregor. And obviously McGregor has as well. Poirier has been knocked out by him mcgregor as a southpaw michael johnson as a southpaw before so he struggles a little bit against southpaws conor mcgregor lost to nate diaz as well as southpaw although that was a little bit different it wasn't down to the southpaw thing as much i don't think uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a very it's a very interesting bout to see what both guys will change from the first fight how different they will be and what difference it will make in the outcome yeah, I, find it, I, I was going to say right. real quick, just that I, I think what I find most interesting about this to me is the mental position of Poirier and all this, because he is in a place where he's for so long, gosh, going back and watching, what is it? What was the doc fight land and all that back? Mm-hmm. It's just talk about change. The guy was, his progression has been this sort of slow roasted, sort of beautifully <laughs> arced kind of thing. It's, it's this amazing, yeah. <laughs> whereas, you know, totally opposite to the sort of meteoric nature, or at least perceivably me- meteoric if you just exclude the american audience we didn't know about international promotions right we just saw all of a sudden yeah. saw this guy come on the scene that's what it was for most people but what i find most fascinating is just for poirier's mindset he doesn't have the animosity he doesn't have the all the things he attributes to maybe i fought emotional which he did he always did but i always wonder if it's an overcorrection to all of a sudden have this sort of highly amiable I'd have got nothing to lose. I've already even lost to this guy. There's no new flavor of humiliation or or anything that I'm going to suffer here. It's it's a good paycheck. I don't know. Like so I just wonder if the the sort of low key pressure of that is is good for him or or not. And then on the flip side with McGregor, it's man, 
you can he's dying to just actually prove to himself that he can still actually fight because he's just barely been in there and he's just mm-hmm. been raring to go so i don't know i find that just those are the polls for me but it, to me it's 100% mental this whole matchup to me is is a strange un, the polarity is not too hot but it's just this thing it's a very interesting mental outlook yeah, I'm, I'm not a big one for looking into the mentality of fights, to be honest. I would much rather look at yeah. the tactics and the technique. But with McGregor and Poirier, you can't avoid it just because of what happened in the first fight. And the famous pictures of McGregor looking at the embedded with Poirier getting mad at him. And to be honest, I was what you were saying there about Poirier maybe being changed and having nothing to lose coming into this fight, so it mightn't affect him as much mentally. I was along the same lines until maybe two weeks ago. You look around and you see, where's Poirier done any interviews? Where, and he did one, I think, with uh, with my boy uh, Hunter Homestek. And he's done one or two this week as well with the UFC, obviously, having him uh, in the hotel over in Abu Dhabi. But there hasn't been that much. And there hasn't been that much talk from him at all. When You know, there usually would be. Coming into the, the biggest fight of his career. Plus, I saw him at the press conference today. And I don't know if, if you agree or not. But to me, he looked afraid of McGregor attacking him. Now, I'm not saying he looked afraid of McGregor uh, as a fighter or he's afraid of the fight or anything like that, but I feel Dan Hooker said before it, I don't want to be the Jeremy Stevens saying, who the fuck is that guy? It felt like Poirier didn't want to be that today. It felt even when McGregor was, she shook his hand and he was really nice to him. He didn't say one bad word to him. I'm going to knock him out, but you know what you expect. But he was extremely cordial and it still felt like Poirier was like, mm, is this real? Are you going to turn on me is this gonna happen again and it went for the whole the whole press conference so that to me and the fact that he has been very quiet and he has said absolutely nothing i don't know i to me it looks like a bad sign to be honest and i i've been really talking up those party a lot of my friends and stuff obviously are like irish people have been saying McGregor knocked him out before. It's probably a lost Habib. Is he actually that good? And I'm like, yeah, he's really that good. He's fantastic striking. He hits really hard. He's good wrestling, good jiu-jitsu. This is, could be an epic matchup. And then I'm talking myself down now a little bit as well. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I like McGregor's mentality as well. Where is McGregor this week? As well, like, and where is... You know, he spent a year looking for a fight. It's almost exactly a year since he fought Cobb by Cerrone. He was at war with the UFC, <laughs> as he mentioned himself, during this week. He really wanted a fight, and they wouldn't allow him to fight. And now he's coming back. So where's he mentally? I think those are, are questions for both sides. And I think both of these things, especially Dustin's state of mind, can play into the other thing that we've heard a lot about this week. But again, it's one of those things that you have to address this because if you're going to talk about this fight, you have to talk about the idea that Conor McGregor has the best chance to win this fight in a spectacular uh, fashion, just the way he did the last time. Mm -hmm. If Poirier comes out stiff and afraid, possibly mentally weak and worried and Connor comes out like he came out against Cerrone. The, the idea is that he'll be able to do what he did the last time. He'll be able to land his biggest weapons at their freshest and he'll crumble him and it'll be over. And the other side of that coin is, but what if he does it? And what if it's the second round and now it's the third round? And what happens when, when Poirier finds that next gear that he definitely has and Connor, I saw him on an interview today. I think it might have been during the press conference. Connor was saying, I think it's a myth. I think it's ridiculous. People think that about me. I had some problems with the first DS fight, but my cardio is not an issue. That's not a thing for me. And sooner or later, I'll have a fight where somebody will be good enough to go five rounds with me and I can show everybody. But I don't know if I believe him. (laughs) So, So is that really what it comes down to? The early thing and the late thing and the balance between those two things between these fighters? maybe I, I think it, if you're looking at it in a very kind of basic start of way look if the fight finishes early it'll it'll pro- more than likely be McGregor although Paria absolutely has a chance to knock him out early if he connects if Paria connects with anyone in the world he can knock him out if, if it goes late you'd probably favor Paria because of because of the, the McGregor's past problems with cardio and stuff no mm-hmm. the problem with McGregor and talking about the cardio, this has always been a problem with McGregor's career because he's finished fights so early. We don't have that much of a set of data to show us if this is a real problem or not. I feel like McGregor, and this is based on a very small set as well, I feel like he gets tired earlier than probably he should, but he has a good second wind if he can get through it. The first Diaz fight, 
he got really tired and he didn't get through it. The right. second Diaz fight, he got really tired, but he got through it. Yeah, Look he did. The, the fly Mayweather bout, he got really tired. He got through it, and okay, he got finished in the end, but you're fighting Floyd Mayweather, so that's a little bit of a different thing. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has he improved since that? The thing as well with McGregor is the two Diaz fights were at 170 pounds. His two Habib, and well look at Habib fight as well. That was at 155. He lost the first two rounds, and he won the third round against Habib Nurmagomedov, who had dominated him for the first two rounds. So if you're being critical about McGregor's cardio, which I think I am, and most people probably are, and look at it as a negative point, you also have to look at things like that, him winning the third round against Habib as a positive point. Okay, he went down and he, he lost the fourth round. So it's an interesting one. Is With McGregor, everything is blown up. He's the best striker in the world. He has the worst ground game in the world. He has terrible, <laughs> awful cardio. There's nothing like maybe someone can outbox him. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Maybe he can out cardio someone. Maybe not. The, to me, I think his cardio has probably improved over the last few years and it will hold up a little bit better. I also think his ground game isn't as bad as, as people say and he's a takedown defense as well. But if I was Paria and if I was. In Paria's car, and obviously he probably wouldn't listen to me because what do I know? But I'd be trying to weather the first two rounds, push McGregor against the cage, and bring those issues up. Maybe more mentally even than physically, put him against the cage, tire him out, take yeah, right. this fight from McGregor, and then come late. If you look at Paria as well, though, like Paria hasn't gone that long too many times in one. Okay, five rounds he went against uh, Max Holloway and looked really good, and same against Gaethje as well. But most of these fights finish inside and hooker but most of his fights finish inside the first three or four rounds especially for the last good few years both of these guys seem to be finishing fights early when they can so it's it's definitely an interesting one i feel like there's a temptation there for for mcgregor to try to extend unnaturally to the fight his time in the cage he keeps talking about this if he i think if he presents any danger to himself which is ultimately that's all you're fighting especially when you're McGregor, right? That's going to be... But I feel like it's a real risk to entertain this notion of I'm going to alter the natural outcomes of this competition in these ways to try to control time and extend things and all that because you're him leaving himself out there to then all of a sudden have an unforeseen sort of cardio drop or mm. get caught by something. Every I don't know. So I feel like he knows that in his heart of hearts, like that he's got to get after it and he doesn't want to get into a slog. But uh, but I do find it interesting that if he does believe that, then that, that seems to be uh, like a pathway to a potential sort of self-inflicted downfall. I, don't, I feel like a, a basketball game is like a, a thing where you can be like, hey, let's lay back a little bit or let's push the pace or whatever. And I appreciate that exists in fighting as well. But there's just something about the consequences of fighting changing so quickly and so definitively that it seems like a weird thing to get in there and, th and think, I'm just going to. I want to make this a, an expose of uh, what I've been working on and an expose of all, I want to silence the doubters. And to me, all of a sudden, you're trying to do too many things. I would just fight the guy and then just do the best you can. But at the same time, I, I, I'm also not Conor McGregor and, and I've never fought anybody in my underwear on television. So there's that. I can tell you one thing for absolutely certain though, Conor McGregor will not do that. He will come out there and he will try to win that fight as easy as possible. You don't get paid for overtime in MMA. You saw it, you saw it against Cerrone. He, he said before that fight, I think I might want to get rounds in. This might be a good fight. I'm coming back. I need to get back into MMA. Two or three rounds might be good. Three seconds into the fight, he comes out and swings a big left hand trying to knock out Donald <laughs> Cerrone immediately. He knocks him out. So yeah. McGregor won't. I can that's one thing I can assure you McGregor won't try to draw this out he won't try to go two or three rounds if he can finish him in the first seven seconds I guarantee you he will finish him in the first seven seconds you know yeah. I think it'll take a little bit longer than that but uh, McGregor's no fool that's funny because I think that's it's something to be said is when we talk about whether he has issues with his cardio or not, it's, it's not necessarily a thing saying he's got some kind of lazy training or he's got some kind of physical deficiency. It's really just a, a lot of it's just a, uh, what do you call it, like a side effect of the fact that he does have such an aggressive style, that he does throw that left hand with such bad intentions. That's just, it takes it out of you. He's, got, he's explosive and you can't just constantly explode. You need to regroup. And that's when Nate Diaz hits you with the one, two. <laughs> and then hit you with 20 more <laughs> yeah. you know? fighters fighters like that Vitor Belfort was a bit like that as well he was a guy who come out and he tried to knock you out really quickly and I don't like 
okay, there's probably some examples of it, but offhand, he found it very hard to adjust to that. He'd win all his fights early, but if it went late, he'd lose. I don't. I think McGregor has adjusted his game a little bit. If you follow McGregor on, on Instagram or Twitter or wherever, you know, every week, McGregor fast. And that's all. He does that a lot. He has Dr. Julian Dalby with him, who is known for getting people's cardio better. And that, he's been working with him for years and years. Mark Romani wrote an article about it during the week, and he's still working with him. So, like, I'm no expert in that yeah. sort of fitness, obviously. But it, if that wasn't working, if his numbers weren't getting better, if they weren't yeah. getting, I, I don't think he'd still be doing it. But the thing is, as well, is it a physical thing or is it a mental thing? If Dustin Poirier can bring out that side of it mentally in him and make it tough for him, it could absolutely rear its head again, even if physically he is way better than he, where he once was. So it's right. clear that it's clear that Connor's not on the 90 day free trial is what you're saying. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. He's got the pro. He's got, he paid for the pro. He got the free that. pass. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Is there anything that you feel like Sean, this, like not, not just the people, especially maybe more casual, maybe more American audiences or whatever. But do you feel like that or, you know, people that are our audience where they're half in, half out or they might. Mm-hmm. We have people that listen that are deeply into all this and we have people that listen that don't care at all and wish we would shut up about it. And we, we kind of <laughs> like that space. But but maybe to the more fringe of the sort of this whole event and your perspective, do you feel like there's anything that's just the the missing piece or the thing that you wish people would talk about more that you find more interesting that is a, a particular angle that nobody's hitting i i think the the angle that nobody's hitting is the tactics of the fight to be honest because i i've talked a lot this week i know you i i spoke to dan hardy and i spoke to to luke thomas as well over on our our patreon and that to me is like that fascinates me more than anything else so maybe it's just me but like this is a high level southpaw versus another high level southpaw something we rarely see in mma now we've lots of switch stance fighters in mma and we see southpaw versus southpaw matches during fights a good bit at different times but even let's say if it's I don't know Colby and and someone else who's kind of uh, even Colby's a wrestler, but his boxing has improved. If he say fights a, a striker and they're both help us, it's not the same as say McGregor against Poirier, who are two out and out brilliant strikers. Okay, they're well rounded as well. But to me, that's fascinating. I spoke to Dan Hardy about it, and he mentioned the the low kicks from Poirier and. Mm-hmm. That being a big thing, which way will Poirier circle? Will he circle into the power of McGregor because it will give him more openings maybe? Or will he circle the other way away from it? I went back and I watched the first fight between the two last night. I put up the podcast this morning on our Patreon and I watched the Nate Diaz fight with McGregor. And I also watched Poirier versus Johnson just to see maybe how they were beaten by other Southpaws. And I think it's interesting. It was different ways about it. Like Poirier... To me, Paria analyzing him over the last while, not for Southpaws, but for just Orthodox fighters, his jab has been really good. His ability to pop into the pocket and land big power and not get hit as much. Now, he gets hit fairly often, but because he throws fairly often, he usually hits harder. That, to me, is like the best aspect of his game. He's obviously a lot wider of a game than that. But against Southpaws, he doesn't really do that as much. He doesn't really jab at all. He leads with his left hand and he throws from far back a lot more. So it takes away one big aspect of his game, which is the jab. Now, those two fights lasted in a total of two and a half minutes or something like that, so there isn't that much. But when you add to that the fact against Conor McGregor the first time for Nate Diaz, his jab was the shot that landed on McGregor over and over throughout the first round, which he lost well, but into the second round as well. And we all remember McGregor being rocked by that jab in the second round. Will Poirier look at that and say, I need to throw the jab more against McGregor. Will that lead to McGregor countering the jab and being able to hit Poirier more easily? McGregor's McGregor's right hook, I think, is a very useful weapon against the Southpaws. And I also think, one last point, maybe the the technique and stuff, I think McGregor might come with a lot more of a kick-heavy game. In the first fight, he threw a lot of spinning kicks, a lot of high kicks as well. And I think to go back maybe a little bit to the cardio issue. He didn't do that at 170. He threw low kicks at 170 in the second fight against Nate Diaz, but I think he didn't throw many kicks because of the worries about the cardio. He, you know, just think about it, throwing a big wheel kick. It's going to take more out of you. Even coming back down to fight Eddie Alvarez, only a few months after Nate Diaz fight at 170, I still think he had those worries. If the worries about the cardio are gone, I think he might throw more kicks and that might lead to more openings against Poirier. So those are me to uh, look a few, the jab of Poirier, key aspect, 
the kicks of McGregor, I think a key aspect, the right hook of McGregor, I think as well, and the leg kicks. Who can win that leg kicking battle could be a key aspect if this goes seven, eight minutes, maybe into the third round or something like that. Uh-huh. Man, I appreciate your enthusiasm. You got me so stoked. I, I'm stoked for this fight anyway, but now I'm just like, who's going to win the leg kick battle? <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it till Saturday. Sean, I can't tell you how much I'm so glad you were able to make it this week and uh, to spend some time with us. Uh, if people want to find your work, where's the best place for them to look? They can find me on, on Twitter at Sean Sheehan BA, as you see down there in the corner. Oh, and well <laughs> <laughs> Two good places this week. You can find lots of, we've lots of free stuff. An interview with Dan Hardy up on uh, Severe May. And if you just search Severe May on YouTube, you'll find it there. A great There's interview, a- everybody. Go listen to that. Yeah. Thanks very much. And we, we also asked loads of Irish MMA fighters and a few comedians and things as well who they think will win the fight. So that video is up there. Uh, and also there's loads of stuff on Patreon. So it's if you go to severemma.com forward slash Patreon, you'll find them there. Interviewed Luke Thomas, interviewed Ariel Hilwani. I have an interview coming Fantastic. tomorrow with Robbie Fox, who's over there, who's a really funny guy from Barstool Sports. Another couple of interviews coming up. We have a betting show coming up as well on, on Friday. So there, uh-huh. and there's three or four other podcasts as well up there this week so it's this is probably the best week it's, i think it costs a fiver so the price of a pint uh, you have to stay and you can't drink any pint so buy me the pint of harp this month <laughs> buy sean a pint of harp sean one last thing before you go uh i want you to give me a pick hooker versus nashville's own michael chandler I think Chandler will win by decision. I think he'll, he'll take him down a couple of times, wear him out, and win by decision. Michael Chandler is going to see you at the top, and he's going to be hanging onto a pint of uh, harp for you. And <laughs> and we're going to get you back on the show soon, Sean. Have a great fight night, and thanks again for being here with us. No butter, lads. Thanks. Anytime. Happy New Year for another nine days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks very much, lads. Bye. See you, brother. All right, so, Joe. Yeah, that was so fun. Oh, man, I'm so stoked. Uh, Our friend Sean has been a little bit sick recently, and I'm so glad he was able to be on the show with us. Uh, Soon, uh, we'll be joined by another MMA journalist. Ben Kiley will be with us. So we're waiting for Ben to come on. And in the meantime, Brian, what what are your thoughts about the fight that we didn't say anything about yet? Or about Uh, Michael Chandler? We can talk about that if you'd like. I think right now, Michael Chandler is so glad that he went through the whole exercise that he did already. He's such a a, a well-trained routine oriented fighter. So for him to have already had dress rehearsal through the whole thing, as you saw in the embedded that they did, I was like, man, this is huge. I would hate to be coming into it through the extra prism of Abu Dhabi. That's not a way, that's not an easy way to walk in. You know what I mean? So Uh I, I feel good. I feel good for his preparation. And that's really what it's about. I think for him, Oh, look, we got a guest number uh, uh, two. This is awesome. Are you ready? You ready, Ben? Look at this. Bam. Yeah. Perfect. Hello, hey, Ben. What's, what's going on, man? Yeah. So, everybody, this good. is uh, nice to meet you, man. Go on. Nice to meet you. I'm really happy to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Yeah. We're stoked to have you on. We basically were planning to have three different journalists on today. Our good friend, who we've had many shows with, thank God, Chuck Mendenhall, isn't able to do it with us today, but we're glad you're able to join us. Ben, you've got the Hindsight MMA, I'm a Hindsight MMA podcast. Is that Am I saying that right? Hind Fight MMA podcast. Hind Fight. Oh, God. I knew I was going to fuck that. <laughs> That's a better it's name. A Hind Fight is better. That, that was hilarious, though. Then you would have no, you, you couldn't talk about the preview of any fight. You could only talk about what's happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, could only, you could only do podcasts after the fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do, though. We look at old fights. We, look at, that's, we don't do previews. Oh, that's oh. cool. So yeah. how, tell us a bit more about the podcast. Just let our, let our listeners know about it. Yeah, sure. Season two actually just dropped today. So you can find that on Spotify and Libsyn. Myself and a stand up comedian who's from Carlo in Ireland, but he's based over in Austin, Texas. Uh-huh. We go oh, cool. back and we look at some ridiculous fights from the past. So, for example, today we put up a podcast about Andre Arlovsky's pro debut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this one? No, not really. Okay, right. Back in 1999, he made his pro debut on M1 Global against a guy called Vyacheslav Datsik. And uh, <laughs> he was doing really well. He came in as this big hyped up prospect from the world of Sambo. And the other guy was this crazy, crazy is the wrong word to use, but like a Muay Thai boxer with a wild style. 
and Orlovsky was controlling the fight and he ended up getting knocked out with a big haymaker and <laughs> Orlovsky ended up being the UFC heavyweight champion the other guy ended up criminally insane and uh, <laughs> oh, no. paranoid schizophrenia and he thought he was the son of the pagan god Perun and oh. all sorts of crazy stuff yeah yeah I think I saw you posting about that earlier today yeah yeah we just dropped it so I was posting about it a lot yeah, I think I saw it on Twitter. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's it's really interesting. We're talking about the fact that one of the the big storylines about this fight is the fact that when these fighters are so young, you don't really have a sense of what's going to happen, where they're going to go. And and when you look back at that first fight between McGregor and Poirier, there is no reason at all to think that Dustin Poirier is ever going to be in the conversation for the lightweight belt. You know what I mean? And in the meantime, now with some, with some, some hindsight, we look back and we realize this guy like completely destroyed Justin Gaethje. This guy destroyed Eddie Alvarez. He's done shit that you never, ever would have predicted from seeing him fight at 145. When was it? 2015? Is that when that fight happened? It was, It feels like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, since then. I I just think that the main takeaway from that is that neither were featherweights. I don't know how either of them made featherweight back then. I know yeah. Poirier in particular had an awful time making it. And just to see, you see certain fighters move up and they don't make it. But Poirier really made the most of it. And McGregor did too. But I guess Poirier went through that long list of absolute killers whereas mcgregor had like he kind of got thrust straight into that title shot in a way poirier is more proven that lightweight he's been through the wars as he said beat justin gaethje beat eddie alvarez beat all these former champs beat max holloway beat dan hooker like he's been through them all it's almost the point if he wins and he becomes a champion who's he going to defend it against like there's not many people left that's a funny, that's a great point. If he wins, people are going to have this massive snap realization that this has been happening the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be a shuddering, like we were talking about, it's just been such a weird slow burn for him over such a long arc. I, I, I love it though, when this happens for, for a fighter and it doesn't feel desperate in the way that maybe it did for some where it's like like for Rashad or somebody where you're like wow you can see this thing fading quick they've got to capitalize on this shot this is gonna be it for that there's it doesn't feel like that at all which is astounding on its own yeah the, the one thing I would say is while Poirier's like really proved himself think about those fights like Gaethje know, was man. a war the two Alvarez fights were wars Dan Hooker was another yeah, war Max was a war. was a war they're all wars at some like the chin's the first thing to go, and once that goes, like you're on the downward slide. I'd worry when that point is going to come for Poirier because he's taken so much damage over mm -hmm. the last few fights. It's almost like he got off a bit easy against Khabib. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really that's a really interesting. Earlier today, I was rewatching those highlights from that Hooker fight, and I think it was I think it was Dominic Cruz. I don't remember who it was, but it got to the end of a certain round and they're both just covered in blood and sweat. And uh, and he's like, that was a fantastic round if you don't care for defense. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, yeah, they were just slugging it out. And that's one of the things too that Brian was mentioning how Poirier on some level, even though an emotional, angry aggression has cost him in the past, it's also at the center of the fighter that he is, it seems, in a way. Because when you see him fighting Gaethje, when you see him fighting uh, Hooker, he's fighting guys. It says a lot that Gaethje didn't knock him the fuck out. But but nonetheless, you see him fighting in that way. You just see him backing him up against the fence and he's just, he even hooks at him and just doesn't, and just one after another. And it's like, how much of that can you put against somebody like uh, McGregor and not get, not get knocked out you know what i mean but and like you say he's proven his chin i think 155 makes a difference for him as well it's one thing to get nick behind the ear and go down when you're half starved <laughs> it's another thing to to be one of the things that every interview i see with poirier right now he always mentions the fact that he just feels so comfortable at 155 because it's easy you know what i mean he doesn't feel he doesn't have to do anything he probably has to lose 12 pounds or something and it's not a big deal for somebody who is used to losing 25. Yeah, uh, you, you always look back at that Michael Johnson loss though. It seemed weird yeah, at the time but it still happened. That was lightweight, yeah. yeah. that was He was on this run and we were talking about a title shot back then. Good and point. Then, 
Then he got cracked with that massive shot from Johnson got the Khabib fight as well. Mm. And then that's when he had to really go back down the ladder and climb up and fight all these absolute killers again. And yeah. I suppose that's, it was from that loss. I think he's a better fighter because of that loss. But it just shows that he can get caught and he get caught at lightweight as well. Mm-hmm. How do you just go, okay, I'm just going to circle really fast for two rounds. Uh, like it just seemed, <laughs> like you have, it's, you're not going to live trying to be on the outside. I don't think. And trying to like, everybody's trying to contain what this force is. And either you have to just get completely absurdly away from it or go at it so directly that it, it's nullified, but there's all this middle ground. I think that people play in, at least from my sort of ignorant observation, it seems like get in or get the F out, but all this kind of, I'm going to try to lead the dance or I'm going to, I don't I don't see how that works out for, for Poirier. But one of the things I like, when you talk about what kind of chin he's got, or when we say chin, we mean like how much cerebral fascia is, <laughs> is still connected to anything. <laughs> so let's be but especially somebody that doesn't understand fighting or has not watched a lot of fights the the sort of highlight for mcgregor beating years ago it's strangely like unremarkable for for a mcgregor highlight like visually it's sort of like, wait did he get how did oh it's like a top of the head like a. I don't know. Like it, it, it wasn't yeah. like this sort of, it wasn't uh Overeem getting his chin sent into the rafters or anything. It, it wasn't anything like that. So I, I find that interesting in the sense that uh, it's almost like there's not been a visual poetry assigned to this matchup yet because it just yeah. was like this kind of hit and miss. But I wonder if ultimately my questions are like, what are your thoughts on, on Poirier? Is he going to be able to just not strategize himself to death and be who he is? Or is he going to try to employ something that is so outside of his realm to try to survive this anomaly of McGregor in the first couple of rounds that it actually is either wildly effective, some weird, it just seems like he's got to do his thing and that's all he can do, but it doesn't seem like a good matchup <laughs> ultimately. I know what you mean. Like, I think that while he has to do his thing, I think he needs to be tactically sound as well. You, you don't want to mess with McGregor. You don't get into a firefight in the first two rounds Yeah, because... Like we seen him, like we saw in the first fight, what happened in the first round there. And we seen him against Aldo, all these other fighters. Yeah. He's at his best in those first like 10 minutes. And there's also these huge uh, question marks over McGregor's uh, cardio after that. Like yeah. we've seen in like certain fights, like the Diaz fights where he like, especially the, the first Diaz fight when he got knocked down and then choked out. But, and then the second fight we saw him, like when Diaz came back towards the middle point of the fight and he did come back again. There's there's still these little doubts. And the Mayweather fight again, the cardio came into play there like in a big way. I know it's a different sport, different timing, everything, but it doesn't feel like we've got answers to that question over his cardio yet. Because in yeah. the Cerrone fight was so short. Cerrone, I've never seen a fight like that where <laughs> someone of Cerrone's stature just did didn't land anything and just got shouldered in the face for a while until yeah, he it does it does feel like people just shrink really quickly mentally and it just is something that nobody thinks gonna happen to them and then they it's happening and then they can't believe it's happening and then it's over and it's this strange sort of melt meltdown that you've seen a lot of different people have against him. One of the things that I was like fascinated by too was McGregor being so interested in like he's actually let down that his fight is not going to be in, in an empty arena because he was so uh, pining for the acoustics of his punches ringing out in this empty arena. He really wanted, and I really appreciated that because it just, it gives you a sense of what a sort of observational artist that he really is with what he's doing. He's thinking about the performance. He's thinking about the sensory aspects of it. Like he's not just thinking about what am I going to do to win? He's really decorating the whole house of the experience. It's really fascinating. What do you have any like insights or thoughts on that part of it? I guess there's going to be some crowd there now, so he doesn't get to quite do that. But in terms of just how does it relate in terms of McGregor being such a sort of a, this kind of omni force, right? He's just working on so many levels at once, whereas Poirier is perhaps maybe a little bit more linear in his pursuits. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that like ha having been in the same room as McGregor and being at press conferences, been at media days with him, he really thinks about everything all the time. When he's just sitting there, he's not just sitting there. When he's at a press conference, he's not just at a press conference. He's, he's planning not vaping. He's not vaping like Joe right now. Joe, are you vaping? <laughs> what are you doing over there? Yes, I'm vaping. <laughs> God, I think it's I'm like vaping. A, I'm thinking about my audience while I vape. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I say, you look like uh, like you're nursing good times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, sorry, sorry, Ben. I'm sorry, man. But no you were saying a, a brief He's always thinking about everything, McGregor. He's yeah. all, like, he's so, you know, he's in the moment and he's in the next moment and he's in the last moment. He's in every moment. Whereas I feel like Poirier, sometimes in the big moments, he does freeze up and he doesn't perform to his best. Like the Johnson fight, the first McGregor fight, the Khabib fight, arguably, although who can beat Khabib? Yeah. But again, like, it's that's the real question about Poirier is that we've seen him come through these wars. But a McGregor fight is is a bit different. It's next level up in terms of a big spectacle, a big showcase. And that's the big one. Khabib's the big one and he failed that test. Can he pass the second McGregor test? That's what we're going to get the answer to on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I, I especially, I'm hoping that sort of the, am I good, Brian? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm seeing little things pop up. I'm seeing my ideal version of this fight would be that the best ever Dustin Poirier shows up and Connor has a bit of rust and and we get to that end of that second round, the beginning of that third round, and then we really see what's going on with these two people. You know what I mean? But I would also be... If I see another Eddie Alvarez fight, that would be fucking unbelievable. You know what I mean? That to me, that's the Connor that I'm trying to find again is that guy who, to what Brian was just talking about and what you were just saying about him, it's that guy who not only is he technically, even technically, that shit was on another level that night. You know what I mean? Seeing those highlights again this week, it's just those combinations were insane. And the just the pinpoint accuracy and just like, I'm going to knock your head and it's going to go two feet that way. And then I'm right there. And then boom, the timing is just, it's insane. And it's on the biggest stage possible. And he makes it look fucking easy, fucking easy and beautiful. Unbelievable what he, what he's been able to do. And I haven't seen Poirier be able to do something like that. I don't know if Poirier can do that because it's just not his it's not really his thing. There's a bit of an Ali for, uh, Frazier thing happening here with these two to some degree. I think I think Poirier's got a lot of technical skill of his own, but the packaging is more meat and potatoes compared to what Connor does in terms of this flowing sort of artistry that he brings to the to his game, which of course I love. That's the best thing, and to see him bring all of those tools and then also bring that composure. I, that would be incredible. And it'd especially be incredible after all this time away because, again, that Cerrone fight, how much, what is that? Yeah. That, that wasn't, there wasn't much to it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's hard easy to gauge. To huh? I was just saying, easy for us to say, right? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. you could argue that was everything to it. That's why I was only in there for 37 seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was, whatever it was. It is one of those things where you really- By the way, really quick, I just wanted like, to say this. I looked it oh, yeah. up. The first Poirier fight was in 2014. So it's it six, seven years ago. It'll be uh, seven years in September. With a long road ahead of even you know, before that as well, like well-documented. Yeah. So for you, Joe, you're let's just say you're fighting Conor okay. McGregor. All okay. right. Best of luck. Better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> like I've always thought about this, right? I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but I was talking I was talking about like how I think every football team, American football, every American football team should have one person that has virtually no football experience whatsoever that they put only in the game when they need a kickoff return for a touchdown to win the game in the Super Bowl. Like that's the only time you would ever do that because the person will be on such fight or flight. I'm going <laughs> to die. Like, like their hamstrings will just be flying off. Doesn't matter. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the same kind of stuff that like moms will lift a car to save a baby stuff. Like yeah. you just save it right to like, I'm not putting you in, you don't, you don't practice, you don't play. I'm just going, the only time you're ever going to go in is a Super Bowl last second to run a kick, kickoff back all the way. So I think of it the same way with, okay, Joe, you are subbing for Poirier last minute. Okay. The magic commission granted you, <laughs> we deleted all the evidence of you oh, vaping yeah. on the internet. Rocky Balboa style. They're giving me a the American dream all of a sudden. 
And then, yeah, I so then McGregor at Thanksgiving Day. Like, as a common man with some martial arts experience, for sure, but with maybe not the requisite amount, what we'll would be it, your, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would be your, what would be your strategy? Oh, my. You're fighting for your life. I, okay. On TV. My life. What would I this do? It's not a game. This is not a game, Joe. This is not the game. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ah oh, man. You gotta visualize first. Know. That's important. That's good. That's good. You're visualizing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some primal movement. <laughs> Get Edo Portal in. I I'm, I'm gonna be doing some Edo Portal. I'm gonna be doing like some lizard crawls. I'm gonna like punch out a candle. <laughs> that was yeah, my you, favorite Conor McGregor, by the way. I loved like weird mystic Mac Conor McGregor with Edo Portal. That shit was gold. It was great because everyone everyone just thought it was a joke initially, and then he goes and beats Aldo in 13 seconds, and everyone's going like, "Whoa, maybe there's something to this moving right. like a snake." <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think there is. I think there is a lot of that stuff just on the idea that doing functional movement exercises is good for a martial artist. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think yeah, I think it's. I love that that aspect of his game. Just the just constantly creatively learning if he's still doing that. See, it's weird now because we used to see that Connor all the time. And now he's in a box of celebrity and you can't see through it. You just get whatever he shows you, but you're not sure if it's real. So who do do you want? Who do you guys want to win? What do you think is the best scenario for whatever your interests are? If it's the perpetuation of more interesting matchups or for the glory of one person or whatever, like what do you, who do you want to win and why? Go ahead, Ben. Objectively speaking, the good guy in this equation is Dustin Poirier. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. He's got the good fight foundation. He doesn't punch old men in bars or throw dollies at buses. (laughs) He's the good guy. Would like to see him get that McGregor rope. I think that would be amazing. Like such a he's humble. You saw it at the press conference. Like he's he was almost uncomfortable up there, but at the same time, he feels like. You feel like whenever he does a media obligation, he's doing it in a way to benefit his own charity as well as and yeah. even his own fight career. It's yeah. a platform for him to do better for the world. And I, I like it's hard not to get behind someone like that. I yeah. know. It's so but virtuous. at the same time, Conor McGregor, like uh, Conor McGregor at his best is spectacular to watch. As you said, he gets into that flow state where it's he's in the matrix and you don't know how he's doing it. And it's almost like he's playing a video game and he's got the cheat codes and he's the other person just cannot land anything on him. And who wouldn't want to see that? So mm. I'm in between two minds. I just want to see a good fight. Yeah, I'm right here with you. Go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say it's very much like how growing up watching Michael Jordan dominate basketball for all of those years from college on, and I always rooted against him, always because I just wanted somebody else to win or or whatever. And but it's been great now retroactively to go back and watch to be able to appreciate all that without the sort of feeling of I'm on a side here or, or I just want the how people feel about Tom Brady or these certain perennial winners they just get to a point where it's like, I don't care I'm just I just want whoever's right. fighting them to just win but I, I do appreciate like the, the and by the way Connor I've, helps people too I don't know if it's court issued or not but I'm just saying he's got foundations he's got things he's matching offers he's he's got the PR thing going too so but it is hard to root against the guy that's purely altruistically just uh, like turning the corner on his career and really getting into that 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 phase of life where you realize I'm in a place to do something, give back all that. It's a hard not to root for Poirier. Yeah, hundred percent. I pretty much agree with you guys both. I, the person who wants to see a fair, just world wants to, wants Dustin Poirier to win the fight. And the person who is a fan of martial arts would love to see Connor like better than ever. You know what I mean? I would love it because that's to me, that's the other disappointing thing with Connor is just the fact that, he has done so many other things, uh, which I respect also, by the way, as somebody who is bored by doing any one thing, I totally get it. And I see why, especially somebody like him wants to try to see, can I, what if I did this? Could I do that? Could I fight? And could I be a boxer? Can I fight Manny Pacquiao? Can I launch a successful whiskey brand? I don't begrudge him trying any of those things, but the fact that we've seen less and less of him in the octagon and have it's been a long time since we've seen him at his best in the octagon. So uh, it'd be great to see him like rededicated, refocused, and ready to go. Because if we actually do get this sort of tournament, however they actually define that, for anybody who doesn't follow the fights or is not 
hasn't been tuned in every day all week this week. They're basically the lightweight uh, division is getting ready to prime up to fill an empty slot in the championship seats. This fight and, and the fight below it, Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler, this is all pointing in that direction. So what about Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler? Do you have any thoughts about that fight? Michael Chandler lives here in Nashville now, so he's our local MMA connection, and it's been really exciting to see him get into the UFC. Uh, big fan of Michael Chandler. Again, one of the good guys. He's a good dude, but it's a real tough It's a real tough one for him because Dan Hooker is so proven in the UFC. And while Chandler has fought Alvarez and Benson Henderson more recently, Benson Henderson was on a downward slide. Alvarez was arguably before he reached his peak. The UFC is on a different level, I think, especially now. So I don't know. I, I keep getting reminded division of too. that division's like one of the one of the fucking fiery divisions. That's the thing. Like I, I just keep getting visions back of Eddie Alvarez's debut when they threw him in against Cerrone. I'm like, it was a bit too much too soon. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think that I, I've got a feeling about Chandler. I think he's in a he's in a good place right now. And yeah. that, that win over Henderson gave him a lot of confidence. And even he saw how comfortable he was up there on on the at the press conference today. It feels like it's prime for him to get the win and to announce himself. And if he gets a win against someone like Hooker, I think you're talking title shot next. I think one of the things that's interesting is I think with Hooker, you've got Hooker is incredibly technical. And I think that somebody like Chandler is small. Hooker is very technical. Hooker is also very tall and very lean, long limbed. Chandler is uh, comparatively short and stout and and is technical in his own ways, but is really one of these fighters who aggressively charges forward and just, and takes you apart. And so there's a part of me that thinks that Chandler is used to he's used to being the guy who's looking up at the other guy. You know what I mean? Chandler knows how to deal with that. And I don't know if Hooker's style can necessarily handle a bull charging at him you know what i mean and i think that's i think there's a hesitating thing to what hooker does and it's almost like hooker would need to deploy those weapons first to keep michael chandler at bay and i almost don't i almost think he's so he's much more interested in countering and it's you can't counter michael chandler because now he's on your chest and you're eating his fucking fist you know what i mean does that make sense am i am i making any good analysis there <laughs> sounds good to me i will say though. No. Like never underestimate the power of city kickboxing. Those guys are doing some very interesting stuff, and I, yeah. I would be shocked if they don't have an amazing game plan for Michael Chandler. That seems yeah, like the exact type of fighter they would prepare for. Yeah, that's really that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a fantastic point because that's really a. There's actually because it's so late for him, not late, but uh, later, obviously, in his career to get to the UFC and, and debut like this in this <laughs> under these circumstances and everything pretty wild but it really is this it's hard to it's easy to miss that this actually is a bit of a modernity in coaching and philosophy versus the there's a little bit of a tortoise in the hare thing going on or something past versus future thing going on because of what you're talking about in terms of city kickboxing and there's just strange weird shit happening where you're seeing evolution of normally tried and true methodologies that are starting to get upended or disrupted or canceled out entirely. And it's because of this new vocabulary. And so we're going to find out whether Chandler is sort of existing on the sort of train that he's been on and evolving in a, in a sort of normal way, or if he's got like maybe some really new theoretical sort of or philosophical or tactical wrinkles that are because he's finally arrived at this stage and he's feeling like he can really unleash that in whatever way i don't know i feel like he's probably in a way fighting more to win now more than he probably has in a long time as i would imagine for him a lot of fights have been fighting not to lose because he's been let's just say fighting lesser competition or whatever the stakes are not as high now yeah. they are. we've seen him lose against lesser fighters than don hooker remember the will brooks fights like yeah you know, yeah, There's for sure. Thing that too, though, where like I, when I grew up playing soccer, we were the worst team every year for the. Like, <laughs> I, I played on the city team, and and we were awful. We we would have we would finish like whatever one and fifteen every year, and uh, and so we were like we would get on these bus rides, go three hours to play whatever team. They would just mop the floor with us, and then we'd get. It was like routine. I did this for years. Just got murdered in soccer for every 
game every season. But we would get occasionally these sneaky wins against whenever we would. It would always be against the best team or the second best team because people will play to the level of competition or overlook or whatever. And there really is something to that. And you, if you give somebody like that's not been not as successful uh, a chance, an opening, they're going to take it without hesitation. Maybe there's some of that uh, that's happened in the past where you maybe get a little, he got a little complacent. But it is strange, right? It is strange. that It's a different context now. For sure. Also, I, I feel like the Bellator, like some of those fighters are really underrated. I think Pitbull, Pitbull could be like the yeah. best featherweight in the world right now. He, he's up there. It's between, but featherweight, I know we're talking about lightweight this week, but featherweight is amazingly good at the moment. And I think Pitbull For is sure. in the competition of best in the world with the likes of Holloway and Volkanovski and possibly Brian Ortega. I would, yeah. see, I would love to see like Pitbull have a chance to get in with all those guys and let's see that. Let's see who's the best out of those guys, like a little cross promotion. It would it would never happen. I think <laughs> I he's, know, gonna I know. he's gonna have to come over and sign for the UFC, but I would kill for that to happen. Who can I kill to make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I, w- I wonder if things like that will be on the table in the future, whenever that is when Dana White is not at, at the lead of the UFC. I wonder if maybe there's a, a more potential for interesting things like that to happen in, in the next era. I don't know if there will be a next era anytime soon. I think Dana White's going to be one of these guys who's going to be promoting the UFC when he's 95 years old. Like I think he's that kind of guy. Like, Yeah. He's just never going to go away. Yeah. No. <laughs> He'll be ringside in his wheelchair with his oxygen mask on, just like <laughs> paying fighters pennies. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's so crazy how like they did counter programming against the inauguration here. Yeah. Was that I've heard that being said. Is that really do you think that's they did that deliberately? One hundred percent. I have no evidence for what I'm saying <laughs> at all. But I'm telling you, one hundred percent that's what it was. Because why else you have all this flexibility, all this time. You're gonna be looking if you're programming and you're scheduling, you're gonna be thinking about what else is going on and what you're gonna make room for or what you're not. And it's clear where those alliances are. And I, I don't know, man, like that was a, it's getting weird in that way. It's got, it's, you know, with the whole pandemic and everything else, it's been a, a little strange. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> hey, Ben, so thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate you being here. What's the best way for uh, our listeners to find you and follow all the things you're doing? Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jive Master. Uh, my podcast, Hindfight MMA. We're on Spotify. We also we're also on Twitter at Hindfight MMA. Yeah, I do some freelance stuff as well. I do some WWE interviews for Sports Akita, and then I also have Red. some up on the Sports Daily. I occasionally, do MMA interviews and MMA stuff there. Yeah, right on, dude. I'm so glad to talk to you. I really wanted to yeah. get you know the Irish perspective on this fight because it's so, outside of some of the Brazilian fighters. I really feel the Irish fight fans are the ones who are really get riled up for these uh, these SBG guys, and and obviously in terms of the entire MMA world, nobody draws attention like Connor. So I wanted to get you on here and give you a chance to tell us your insights. And yeah, I think we're we're all pretty much in agreement. Now it, it just comes down to getting to see the fight on Saturday night. I, I'm looking forward to it and I'll be tweeting with you then and we'll see what happens. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. And by the way, just so you know, like those tweets have an actual direct outcome on what is happening. Don't feel right. like that you're just talking to the void. You can actually affect the outcome of fights based yeah, on MMA what God's you're listening to your tweets on Twitter. So <laughs> always remember that. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. We will talk to you again very soon and we'd love to learn more also just about what your journey has been in your craft up to this point and and maybe steal some of your techniques. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, exactly. All right, take care. Uh we'll enjoy the fights, guys. Yeah, man, we'll pull you off here and then Joe, we'll hang on and then wrap it up. All right. See All right, you later. Sounds good. Bye, Ben. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. All uh, right. Yeah, so that was fun. I really, I think that worked out great. It makes me think that we've had a number of guests on at once before in a more casual setting. We had six or seven people on when we did our 100th episode, which was more of just like us drinking. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, I have that sometimes. Yeah, but to like to do multiple interviews with a couple of these guys and really get an insight into what the MMA journalism world in Ireland is thinking about this fight. That was really fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I love also just the taking advantage of the opportunity to get the Irish perspective direct from the source, from good yeah. sources too. That's a you really it's a special one, man. I really appreciate uh, everybody 
making that happen. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here of maybe things that you're doing? I don't really think I do right now. I don't there's I found out that I got in a new exhibit this week, but it'll they haven't really made an announcement yet, so I'll wait for that to come out and I'll, you know, let people know about it. That's about it. I just had yeah. I've been doing just plugging away. I took my saxophone in to the shop today, Brian. I dropped it off at the at my buddy's house to get some new pads, going to get a little cleaning. It's going to be wonderful. I don't how, did I know you play saxophone? That's my first instrument. I've been playing that since I was like 10. I was just I was just a <laughs> You don't even need a saxophone. No, I was just revisiting the the Coltrane changes today. And Vox Media makes these great sort of pieces on different musical tidbit, music tidbits that are really interesting to music nerds that typically don't get explained out to people that are not total music nerds. But they wow. have a little, like they did one on how gated reverb sort of accidentally happened in the 80s and became the staple of 80s drum sounds uh -huh. uh, or a lot of sounds. And then uh, they just did one where it was all about the, they have or they have one that's all about the giant steps and, and the Coltrane changes and the circle oh, of fifths and all that. And for somebody that, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just uh, what I love is that they've, they've but just the idea that the you know piano player in that tune is hanging on for dear life and has never encountered anything so outlandish on a chart in his entire life and they what they documented and what they released like that recording you're hearing a, a piano player holding on for dear life <laughs> go, go back and listen to giant steps and just pay attention to the piano solo it's because the tempo is so fast and the keys are changing so fast and the like the method of that that piece is it's like it's probably trying to play it's probably trying to do algebra while you're on dmt or something like you're yeah. just it's you're dealing with different constructs all happening at the same time yeah that <laughs> album's incredible yeah yeah so that's cool i didn't i don't know why i didn't know you played saxophone so now we'll have to talk about that but uh, yeah. i'll make yeah. you a beat i'll make you a beat with some sweet fucking licks on it <laughs> yeah. Hit me. yeah hey man i've got some things we can talk about it but uh, but yeah and so for me i just released two eps doubles uh like a pairing of ep releases so you can go to those drones.com and in a couple of days and you'll see all the info about that but it's happening those things are out there and i'm excited about are you, that are you gonna have how do you how are you gonna release them brian just digitally with a few cassettes but also on your from your website or from a platform or some kind so it's already on itunes it's already on okay. a, lot, a lot of the places i'm just waiting for all of those digital syncs to catch up before i do the release yeah you know i've already mentioned it on, on the interwebs uh, but but i'll do a consolidated thoughtful of what the hell I'm doing and why I did it and maybe why some And how are you going to sell, you gonna just sell cassettes via your website? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to make a, a very limited edition, 10, maybe 10 cassettes. It's really important, I think, to have an artifact. Even though are, you, it's, are you like doing your own duplication or do you have somebody doing that? Yeah, it's you? just 10. It's just 10. So you can't see it just off camera over here, but I have this amazing from the late 70s. It's a cassette deck. It's called a Tandberg TCD 330. And it is crazy. It's like this vertical thing with rosewood side panels. It sits on these pedestals. It's got the analog VUs. Yeah, yeah. I've seen this at your house. Yeah, yeah. So the cool thing about that is that you can monitor off of the record head. So what this means for people that don't know what the hell I'm talking about, if you remember making tapes at all, is that when you made a tape, it was always a mystery. Like, I hope this came out okay. Like, I hope my tape deck isn't screwed up. I hope this tape is not screwing up. I, you, you record it and then you listen back and you, you don't know if the levels are 100% because you're trying to trust the meters, but it could go a little louder. It sounds a little noisy, all that kind of stuff. This one, it has an, you can monitor off of the tape record. There's a playhead, it's a three head tape deck. So you can monitor just after the record head. So what that means is that I can feed sound into it that I want to record and then whatever's coming back. I'm actually listening to what is being printed on the tape at the time by just a right. couple of milliseconds delay, of course. But what that allows me to do is like really control. And I also can control what they call the azimuth, where you can slide the the, the record head back and forth <laughs> to, to maximize like the surface of the record head and the tape going across it. You want to uh -huh. have it be lined up as perfectly as possible. Mm -hmm. And it can vary a little bit based on cassettes. So if you want to nerd out on cassettes sometimes. And that's, that's, I'm, is that I'm varying surprised. your saturation, Brian? Yes, it is. It is. It's kind of painting with a roller versus painting with a brush. You want to just make sure you're, you're filling as much space as you can there. Anyway, so I, I don't want to do like a big cassette run. I just want to, since I have the ability to do it, I'm going to take some photographs 
print some photographs and just make those the tape covers and just have a few. There's certain people that I think really always want to have whatever it is that I made. And I'm really grateful for that. I just have a, but I want to be able to give sort of those folks uh, something that's tangible goods on some level. It'll be digital everywhere, but ultimately it's, it's two EPs because it's just music that I've just been making and it's whatever it is. I'm not trying to do like a concept album right now. So it's got a lot of just like beats and sketches and some things that are way more finished out. Other things I just thought were good left where they were. Something it's like looking through a thing where some things are going to be full color. Some are just going to be charcoal outlines. Some are going to be napkin drawings. Some are going to be full bore prints or whatever. It's going to be a, an array of things. That's cool. Yeah. Basically it's all about just like anybody else. Keep doing what you're doing and, and keep output going. I, I cannot stand having finished work that is sitting around anywhere. It makes me crazy. So I mm -hmm. am always like just trying to get stuff out of the way so I can start a, start anew on the next thing, whatever the yeah. next, whatever my next breath of stuff is going to be. So it's been cool to, to release that. And it's been stuff that I've been doing over the last few months. Everybody's got their, I don't know what to do with this pandemic stuff. And by the way, side note for any musicians that are listening, I, if you need a mastering guy, go to badandymastering.com. My friend, Andy Alexander mastered my stuff and we go way back. So I mean, it's, if you need to get a music project done and somebody that really understands how weird we all are and is one of us uh, but can also really do the clinical job but with with the sort of a soulful outlook on mastering i would say uh, yeah. go to badandymastering.com so that's my plug for my buddy andy's mastering business but anyway yeah man so it just feels good to get stuff out whatever just keep going keep pressing and i'm already thinking about the next thing and the next thing is how it goes yeah that's rad man i next week i don't actually have anybody planned so maybe we'll do just a sort of a next week we have we have we'll talk about that but we oh, have next week. did you book that guest yeah, yeah that's been done yeah oh, do you want to talk about it? no we're gonna we're gonna it's such a strange awesome curveball that i kind of <laughs> really want to get into it yet because okay. it's just well everybody happen. Everybody tune in next week for this strange, awesome curveball we're about to throw your way. Enjoy the weekend. Have a great fight night on Saturday and go, go Michael Chandler. And uh, we'll see you guys all in about a week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thanks uh, everybody for listening. Make sure that you follow and subscribe and click all the buttons and all the things. Again, we're really trying to get our audio audience to be maybe a little bit more into the video side of things. We'll just keep, we're going to keep doing it though, either way, but, but yeah, just make sure you press buttons that help us and then we will appreciate it. <laughs> so anyway, our Joe, we'll see you on the other side. Alrighty. Take it easy, everybody.